Ante Up is your poker magazine dedicated to the everyday player and their poker rooms. Pick up a free copy at your favorite poker room nationwide each month. But Ante Up is much more than a magazine. Visit AnteUpMagazine.com daily for breaking news and each week download our award-winning poker cast. Join us on our action-packed poker cruises to exotic destinations. Ante Up, it's your poker magazine. From the Anti-Up headquarters in Tampa Bay, Florida, it's the Anti-Up PokerCast. And now, here are two guys who think they know how to play poker, Chris Casenza and Scott Long. October 21st, 2016, you're listening to the best poker cast on the interwebs. I'm Chris Casenza. And I'm Scott Long. Uh, this is pretty much what we expected, I think, right, when it comes to the Hall of Fame? Yeah, well, and first of all, we got to say how hilarious this is that last week we had triumphantly said there's nothing going on in the poker world, and we're going to spend the whole show giving Chris stupid questions to answer. <laughs> they weren't stupid. They were and brilliant. Then, and, uh, and then we get done with the show, and I start to catch up on my emails, and this was in my email box an hour and a half before we did the show. And how many times has that happened to us with anything <laughs> World Series related? I mean, seriously, it's always the World Series stuff, too. Always. Oh, they had a... Announcement of the schedule. Oh, oh, they're they're having uh, the November nine. Oh, oh, they're and every time too. It's always they, we should learn that they're going to release their news an hour after we record every week. <laughs> uh, but anyhow, yeah, I think uh, you almost called this right. Yeah, almost. It's funny because I, I, it's when you think about it, you say, well, I. I think I messaged you or texted you about this, saying, "I think Todd gets in because, you know, I don't, I don't know how Doyle's feeling these days, but he's, he's got to be eighty now. So, you know, they're probably saying, hey, we're going to get him in the hall. Let's let, let's let his father enjoy this too and see him in the hall and everything. And because really, if you compare Todd and Ellie, they're they're pretty pretty similar. And I think Ellie actually has the edge. He has edges in bracelets. He has edges in caches, or not caches, but." Um, you know, just I think overall performances. So when you compare those, it's like, okay, what's the difference? They both play in the same game. So what is it that gives him the edge? And I really think that next year you'll see Ellie get in. I think because I really think that they wanted to get Todd in. Um, and a couple of telling things too. I think um, you know Brunson said in this quote in the story he was honored to be inducted by his peers in this prestigious institution. And I thought that was interesting because you know if if your peers put you in to something that they essentially created is that as important as people from the outside who are still as impressed with what you've done i i think it from their point it is because they know how hard it is to play poker at their level and so for people in, in their group to say yeah you deserve to be among the best in our little society here it's huge to him but if you and I get together and say, hey, me, you, and Faso need to be in the Pinellas County Hall of Fame poker because we, you know, how prestigious is it if you and I decide to create a Hall of Fame for Pinellas County poker players and then we all enter it ourselves? So, you know, one part of me says this is obviously he's deserved. He's my hero. Todd Brunson has, like, changed poker for me forever. So um, I love the guy, and, and uh, especially since he played poker without even his dad knowing it and became that good, which is kind of a huge thing. So congratulations to Todd. 
Um, but it's just I just wonder about that Hall of Fame thing where you know if it's an insiders thing and you don't really recognize, hey, even the media and the people outside of this voted for you too, because I don't think he'd have enough votes if it was just the people that are his peers, like he said. I think he would need a lot more than that to get in. Um, I don't know, but I, I, I'm very happy for him, and uh, I think it's great. I know that was a dream of his. You know, He says in the quote, too, that he grew up actually watching and attending these ceremonies. Right. So, uh, you know, I was... I just I totally relate to that, and uh, because in bowling and stuff like that, I always went to these banquets and things like that, and so you always want to be able to strive for the thing that you you're appreciating as you're growing up and stuff. And then the other guy was Mortensen. Carlos Mortensen gets in, and I think that was like our third, my third choice. I thought it was, or maybe I, I don't know who I I can't remember who I said now for the other one, I, but I thought Ellie was deserving, so I think Ellie will get in next year. Um, yeah, a couple things. I mean, I, I decided on Carlos in our, our long discussion, right? So yeah. I will yeah. get that. And then uh, I probably would have gone with Brunson, but you told me Ellie, so that's all on you. So. <laughs> it would have been perfect this year, but no, I had to listen to you. Um, I know. <laughs> um, no, uh, one thing that I thought was interesting in reading the uh, release, um, and by the way, I don't know if you ever mentioned the specifically, we're talking about the uh, 2016 Poker Hall of Fame class and Todd Brunson and Carlos Mortensen, the two that were. Um, well, it wasn't Tennis Hall Jones. of Fame. I think they knew when I said Hall of Fame. I know. I should clarify. <laughs> uh, so a couple things. One, um, uh, it was a 44-person panel made up of the existing Poker Hall of Famers and a blue-ribbon media panel. So not only did we get screwed out of being on the media panel, but apparently I got screwed out of some Paps Blue Ribbon. <laughs> so I'm doubly upset now. Oh, jeez. Maybe I need to get Norm and Chad, my good friend, you know. Uh, to, uh, to at least give me a blue ribbon if I can't even get on the media <laughs> panel. Uh, but no, the other, uh, in all seriousness, the other thing I thought was interesting was uh, it said uh, Carlos, the Spaniard known as AL Mapsdor, uh, becomes the first true international and European member of the Poker Hall of Fame. I had never really thought about that, and honestly, I think that's a little sad. Yeah, I think that is sad. You know, he, um, I mean, he's been around uh, for 20 years. But, well, no, but I, I but, think what's the sadder part is that he's the first international or European member. No, I know. That's what I'm. I'm I was, I was getting to that before you, you cut me off. I was getting to I'm that. <laughs> Go ahead, keep going. You're just taking a long way to get I'm, there. I'm used to it. Yeah, <laughs> getting a long way to get there. Oh man, you're killing me. Oh, uh, but no. I mean, if you go back to the discussion that, that that we had when the nominees came out, and it's the same discussion we've had probably the last three, four, five, seven, twelve years. Whatever long we've been doing this. <laughs> Uh, my point of view is that because poker is a world game and for whatever strange reason that they limit this to only two people a year, um, that I think one of them has to be international just because of the, the range of the game now. And um, so that's really where I always start my conversation is which of these nominees that are all probably the most uh, popular influential poker players in their particular countries or regions is the one that we pick for one of them, and then who among these other folks is who we pick for the other one. So um, apparently I'm either ahead of the curve on that or the Hall of Fame's behind the curve on that or something, but um, I think that needs to be fixed going forward. Well, let's, like like good poker players who are on the river and want to describe and explain the story that's been told to them by their opponent, let's go back into history for a second here and think about this and why this sort of has come about. I really believe that when this Hall of Fame was created, whenever it was, that 
really the game was not an international game then. It was really, you know, so, so really you're thinking about really Texas, Vegas, and California, and maybe to a lesser extent, Atlantic City. So you think about these four, you know, unbelievable places, homes of poker, where international flavor didn't even come into existence until tournaments were even introduced in the 70s. And then from then, even then, the game didn't spread into Europe or other countries really until probably the as far as popularity, you know, until you're you're not even coming across these people. I would say probably by the year 2000. Right. Well, what I'm saying, though, is, okay, so now you're talking 16 years. Not, now they have to be, you know what I mean? You have to say, okay, so now these fields are so gigantic that is it just because you know you're in these fields doesn't necessarily mean these guys are going to come across you in tournaments they probably aren't going to come across you in cash games if you're playing in you know the big game at you know aria or you know bobby's room or any of those things so to me it's like how much were they actually you know exposed to these players to say okay now you're the greatest you know so it's taking a long time i would think there's this huge bias in the beginning and then it's starting to break away now and melt away and now they're getting more exposure to these players because they're traveling over there as well and seeing them because now they're holding events worldwide and they're having tours worldwide in the last eight years or so so yeah i think it's it is sad that carlos is the first truly international guy like they talked about um but uh, I don't think it's that unexpected, given that the bias was, hey, if you don't even you're not even from Texas, we don't even consider you a poker player in the '70s. You know, I mean, they didn't even think of you as a poker player. And then by the time the '80s came around, we started to get some of the amateurs in. You know, uh, Ver, what was Verconi or whatever his name is when he won it in '03 or whatever that was. So from there it goes. What year did Verconi win? Oh, oh, two, oh two. It was right before Moneymaker. Money yeah, Moneymaker. Right before Moneymaker. So, so like there, you started to get a hint of amateurs and guys who, you know, then you ext- express it from there to now. Now it's like okay, so from twelve oh uh, two to third to three, you know, maybe around there, you start realizing that there are other people in the world who are winning besides guys with cowboy hats. And then it's like holy cow, now there's international players. So I don't, I don't really, I'm not too shocked by it. I just think it's it's sad that we don't have some sort of vehicle like you said of hey, more than two people a year. You yeah, know. I think that's the big. Problem. Yeah, so that's. Uh, I think. I think we discussed this. All all these other international players on the list are, are certainly qualified, and, yeah. and probably will get in at some point, or may have a good chance of getting in at some point. Uh, but it's very difficult when the whole funnel funnels down to just two people a yeah. year, and yep. all the people that play poker or make the poker uh, make poker as good as it is. So that's probably the bigger issue, but. Uh, but we'll see as the future goes and who gets in um, in the coming years. Congratulations to both of them. They're obviously well-deserved. And uh, someday we'll be Blue, blue Ribbon. Maybe. <laughs> um, and uh, they will be officially inducted um, on October 26th at 7 p.m. at Binion's, which I always think is pretty nice. To yeah. That yeah. Binions, uh, all right, our next restock to show... Uh, the Charity Food Bank Initiative, we sponsor Blue Shark Optics, will be January 16th. Over two years, your generosity has fed nearly 111,000 people across North America, and we'd like our third year to be the biggest yet, so go to com slash restock for a list of participating venues. 
And if your favorite poker venue isn't listed, please ask the manager to contact us for all the details. Uh, as of now, already committing to hosting events are Harris Action and Honda in Arizona, Jackson Ranchiera Casino Resort in California, Daytona Beach Kennel Club, Derby Lane, Miami Poker Society, Tampa Bay Downs, and TGT Poker in Florida, Windy City Poker Championship in Illinois, Minneapolis Rounders in Minnesota, Pearl River Resort in Mississippi, Harris Cherokee Casino Resort and Knockout Poker USA in North Carolina, and Ho-Chunk Gaming, Wisconsin Dells in Wisconsin. <laughs> and J-Design Playing Cards will be donating an uncut sheet of its playing cards to all host venues to award however they wish. So, very excited about this because we just announced, uh, I mean, we had the date out there since the last one, but we just actually started our push for this on Monday, and already all those rooms have committed. Um, and really haven't even started our really hard push where I you yeah. know, actually yeah. spend three days emailing every poker manager in the country. That's 400 and some, so I get my carpal tunnel part of the year. <laughs> uh, but already doing well there, too. And um, even uh, most of those rooms do not have their um, details yet because we just contacted them. But I do want to give a special shout-out to our uh, good friends at Pearl River Resort where our uh, Mandy Up Poker Tour uh, takes place next week. Uh, they are actually starting their donations for Restock the Shelves on December 1st, and they're giving, uh, you can bring up to five food items per day and get a raffle ticket for each of them every day from December 1st to January 6th for two drawings uh, where they're giving away cash and tournament entries. Um, they're also adding a 1,000-unit um, uh, bonus on all their tournaments from December 1st through January 16th for donations as well, too. So um, one of the things that, uh, that that's fantastic and they're not the only room that's already emailed me and said hey we're we're trying to make this bigger and better than ever in our room this year so um i, I think what we're starting to see in year three here now <clears throat> is rooms getting very excited about um what they've done in the past and motivated to do even better um going forward so i'm very very optimistic that we have a um awesome event coming up here january 16th so so good to see and especially since we were barely even announcing it and you've got all those places already committed it's just it's going to be really big this year. Very exciting. Uh, hey, play on the AnnieUpPokerRoom.com will pause in mid-November for the site to be transformed into a free-to-play social gaming site with a launch expected in early 2017. All previously announced tournaments and prizes will be run and awarded before the pausing takes place. We appreciate all the AnnieUp fans who gave the site a look and hope to see you back next year when the new site launches. Hey, uh, we're pleased to announce that the Annie Up World Championship will return to Thunder Valley Casino Resort in 2017 with an option for 2018. As part of the deal, the Annie Up NorCal Classic will continue in 2017, giving the resort near Sacramento, California, two Annie Up Poker Tour Series for yet another year. This year's Annie Up NorCal Classic is November 22nd to the 27th. Use code 161123ANTI to get hotel room rates of $99 Sunday through Thursday and $179 Friday and Saturday. For all the details, visit AnnieUpMagazine.com slash Thunder Valley, and I will, this always gets posted in our recap on Poker Radius, too, in case any of those codes you didn't have a chance to write them down or whatever. Um, and if you'd like to be one of our monthly magazine contributors and represent AnnieUp in your home area, apply at AnnieUpMagazine.com slash ambassadors. We have immediate openings in Michigan, North Florida, Reno, Louisiana, and the Pacific Northwest. Find yourself in a situation in your favorite poker room or home game and you're not sure what the proper ruling should have been? Email us at podcast at antiupmagazine.com and we'll have Hollywood Casino Toledo Director of Poker, Elliot Schechter, tell you how he would have ruled. 
This week's prize is an upgraded membership to PokerRadius.com, poker's best social networking site and home of the Annie Up Group discussions. Comes from James Jenkinson. Uh, I guess he's across the pond because he's playing in a one-pound, two-pound no-limit hold'em cash game in a casino. Says, we got to the river in a heads-up pot, and I bet 75 pounds into a 110-pound pot, verbally declaring my bet size as I had done all evening to avoid confusion. My lone opponent, who had a strong foreign accent, says, raise, but only puts out enough to call. The dealer informs him that he must raise as he is as he has declared, and because of the bet size, it must be a min-raise. He starts to protest, saying it was by accident. English is not his first language, and he got the words mixed up. I sit there quietly, not quite sure what the ruling is. The dealer calls the floor. The floor says that, unfortunately, the raise must still stand. At this point, one of the other players at the table says the player has done this before at a local tournament uh, that they played, and he had the nuts both times. He did it and was angle-shooting. The floor takes a minute before declaring that the hands are dead because a third player gave away the strength of the player's hand. Is this correct? It took around 10 minutes for people to agree about how betting went to get the correct money back, at which point I left because of the tension in the room. This hasn't put me off returning, but the decision doesn't seem right to me and seems open for abuse. What happens if the player who spoke out had invested into the pot and was doing this to get money back? I think one of the interesting things here is listening to you read it, and yeah. then you can see the incredulous come out when you're just reading. Cause I you're, know. You're, you're very robotic, and then all of a sudden you're like, well, the hands are dead? <laughs> I'm like, well, the hands are dead? <laughs> Which I'm sure all of our listeners are like, because that's how I was when I read it the first time. So, um, All right, Elliot says, oh, what a horrible ending to a situation that was handled properly until a third party spoke. Do a correctly inform your opponent that he was obligated to raise. The floor person then confirmed the rule. All was good so far. Player 3 then offered up what seemed to be very relevant information. The problem with this statement is that it appeared to violate the one-handle player rule, especially as it's interpreted on your side of the pond. Hey. Your observation about possible abuse by players scheming for a refund is spot on. At some point, there has to be a penalty to one or more players if the action is to be unraveled every time a player speculates about the contents of another player's hand. It is neither cricket nor poker to fake a language difficulty, place enough chips to call, and receive the cover of a ruling in order to get your opponent to pay off the nuts. I'd be inclined to show the offending player to the door after this happened a third time. Um, okay, so I, I'm confused. Was it was he saying that what was done was wrong? I, I'm I'm trying to figure it out because he yeah I guess he didn't clarify he didn't really clarify that, he, that. I think he's agreeing with us that there's no way you declare the hands dead yeah okay good I, I think he tried to sum that up by saying what a horrible ending without actually explaining what yeah so the horrible ending is mean it's horrible as far as the decision and horrible for him so yes. that's got to be it right okay yeah that is just absolutely the most ridiculous brutal thing I've ever heard of in my life I mean I, how do you uh, how does that guy get punished. How does our friend here get punished for doing nothing wrong? Yes. And so he's got the best hand, and or, or even if he doesn't have the best hand, he still should get an outcome. This is just absolutely the worst thing I've ever heard of. <laughs> it, it makes no sense. You're right. I turned from a robot to a... <laughs> I mean, this is ridiculous. It, it makes zero sense. Zero sense. And the rulings were already made anyway. So the ruling is made. The ruling is done. And then a guy says something, now it affects it? It's done. The, the ruling is made. Put the money in, give them the things, and then chastise the third party for talking. 
And then if the other guy does have the nuts when they turn it over, which he, why would he object to raising if he had the nuts? I don't even understand any of this. It's just crazy to me. But then you have, you've made the ruling. When the judge hits the gavel, he doesn't go, but wait, I found a bloody knife. No, sorry. It's over. I'm sorry. OJ's knife, by the way. Yeah, it doesn't have to be. But it, uh-huh. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, imagine this. I mean, there's all kinds of uh, potential angle shooting that we're talking about here, right? I mean, obviously the insinuation from the third player in this hand was that this player was using his lack of English knowledge as an angle shot, right? Yeah. Uh, so you got that going on. But imagine if any time you thought your your buddy at the table was in a bad spot, and you could see it, right? Uh, you're in a hand with Dr. Frank, and that's not you're not bringing Dr. Frank in. We brought him in last week. Uh, you're Fast. in a hand with the the woman at Binion's that had all the crap on the table, right? <laughs> you still remember that. Hilarious. <laughs> How can I forget? Um, and I can tell that you are crushed in this hand, right? And for whatever reason, you can't, right? Yeah. What's going to stop me from speaking up and saying, hey, every time that she puts the chips in the pot like that, it means that she has the nuts, and then have the floor come over, oh, yeah, okay, sorry, uh, hands dead, everybody gets their money back, and saving you money. It, it, so it opens up angle shooting in another way, Yeah, doesn't it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is crazy. I mean, especially if the guy doesn't speak our language very well, then you could totally screw with him, too. And st- I mean, it's just ridiculous. Well, that's the other thing, too. I mean, I, I, I'm going to give the benefit of the doubt to the people talking in this situation that uh, the, the, the worst guy in this um, scenario is the foreign accent guy that's using his language as a shield, right? Mm-hmm. But it's possible that he's not. You know, it's possible that we again. You know, it's funny we're in the middle of this election cycle with all the polling going on, right? And everything, and what, what's the most important thing in polling is you know a, a sufficient sampling size, right? Uh-huh. So here, all we have is uh, three times maybe where he did this and he had the nuts every time. Now, obviously, <clears throat> I'm not. I don't have my head in the sand here. I'm like that. This seems pretty daunting, um, damning to him, but. It is possible that just like everybody says, I never win with aces, when we know darn well you always, uh, you, I mean, you win with aces the same amount of time that everybody else does, right? Yeah. That you just remember the times that you lost with aces. So it could be just possible that this other guy only remembers the times that this guy did it uh, when he had the nuts. So, you know, I don't think there's enough here for us to uh, completely condemn um, our fake English guy here. But certainly the other guy just speaking up and saying, oh, yeah, he always has nuts. Now you've just you poisoned the hand, but not to the point that we need to throw it out. Yeah, because the ruling is already made. Yeah. So, I mean, all right. So the guy is forced to raise now. Um, obviously, now uh, the other player, um, our hero here, now has the added benefit of having this extra information from the player who should not have been speaking up. And he can make a decision as to whether he wants to call or raise or whatever he wants to do here, um, which is unfair to the first player. But, you know, again, we don't know who really he is. The only person that we know for sure is good in this situation is our hero. Now, of course, it's coming from his point of view, too. But well, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt, right? Yeah. Um, but now, yeah, let him make a decision. Uh, all right, well, if every time he does this, he has nuts, then maybe I want to fold now. Or 
maybe I don't trust this guy saying that every time he did hit the nuts, and I'm going to call and find out for sure for myself. Or maybe uh, I have the nuts, so I'm going to raise and put this guy to a test. And if we chop the pot, we chop the pot. But if he doesn't have the nuts down, then I win, right? So, um, and then let's punish this guy for speaking up out of turn after the hand is done. Now, I don't know what you do because it's a cash game, so it's not a tournament, so you can't, like, make him sit out or anything. But it is, um, as Elliot says, I mean, and we get a lot of these call plays. We got a bunch coming up now, too, to kind of get into this situation. Uh, in a cash game, I think the, the the penalties are more severe than tournaments because you can give a guy a warning and next time kick him out for the night. You know, the other thing, too, is the third, third time happens, kick him out forever. I the, mean, that's, the, that's what you can do. The third-party guy, again, I, I hate to keep going back to this, but it came after everything was decided. So it's kind of like when the judge says, you know, hey, to the jury, you know, disregard what you just heard. It's stricken from the record. That stuff is, you know, same thing here. That, that third-party information, it came after the ruling. So, hey, if you want to take that on our advisement, that's up to you. But we need to have this raise made, and then you get to act. Now, this other guy's going to get reprimanded, but you, you don't have to listen to what he said and take it under confinement. You could just call his raise or, you know, whatever it is. Yeah, it's just but, more a piece of information you have to evaluate yeah. the um, veracity. But it, yeah, exactly. But it needs to not be affecting this gameplay here. It needs to be, The ruling is done. The ruling is final. It, it's, it's just not – it's just a horrible thing. I'm just glad it didn't happen around here. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I'll say the other thing, too. Uh, obviously, we've been uh, kicking this third player quite a bit here for speaking up. Um, and I, I do appreciate that he was trying to bring important information to the decision. The problem was that he brought it up in a poor way at a poor time. The poor timing, especially, so, yeah. you know, in the future, uh, for our listeners, because I always like to use these things to help our listeners figure out what they're going to do when the situation comes up. Or I would advise you keep your mouth shut when you're not in the hand, and as soon as the ruling's done and the hand's done, and nothing else can be affected by what you're saying, I would go back to that floor and say, "Hey, I appreciate your ruling. You probably didn't know this, but this is what I've known before." And then let the floor decide on its own what he wants to do about it going forward. That way, you're—I mean, we're not not at all suggesting that you don't speak up and say anything at all ever about something that you've noticed before. You just have to know the proper time to do it. Yeah. Hey, each week we spotlight a listener who emails us at podcast.anagatmagazine.com, and if they haven't won something from us in the past year, just like we do with Call the Floor and Hand of the Week, we send them something cool. This comes from Guy Fawkes. Apparently, uh, Guy Fawkes is the anonymous guy. I don't know if Scott didn't get that joke, I guess. I'm sorry. I, well, no, no, sorry. Do you know who anonymous is? Uh, no. No, you don't even know who anonymous is? Oh, you're killing me. Of course you know who anonymous is. The, the hackers and the anonymous. No. Oh, you're killing me. I've you're, been paying attention. You're going to get so flamed on the poker radius, buddy. All right. So it's a tournament. So We don't know who set this in. It's anonymous. But it's a tournament with about 1,000 entries, and a husband and wife end up at the same table deep in the event. Now we are hand-for-hand hand on the money bubble. The husband is short-stacked, and the wife has plenty of chips. Husband opens, shoves all in, and it folds around to the wife in the big blind. She looks down at ace-ace. She folds the best starting hand in poker because she doesn't want to eliminate her husband on the money bubble. But she also shares later that if someone else had called, she would have moved in or come over the top because, quote, if anyone gets those chips, it should be me. It's an interesting scenario to me because if your finances are combined, you almost guarantee yourself a minimum double min cash by folding in that spot. But is it ethical? 
Would you ever do this? Would your decision change if you were playing on a live stream or feature table where people could see, you know, the fold that you have AC? So, what do you think of this? Well, first of all, a couple of assumptions. Uh, we're assuming that their finances are combined. Uh, in the long household, our finances are not combined. <laughs> <laughs> Nor in the Casenza household. Yes, yes. We have separate everything, and we chip in for the bills. So, uh, yeah. you know, not that my wife plays poker, but if we did, there would be no sharing <laughs> right. winnings either way. So right. uh, let's get rid of that assumption right now. But, um, you know, what I, what I told this, this uh, listener was that uh, the problem here was this woman, for whatever strange reason, spoke up and explained this. And I don't understand that. I, I, maybe she just didn't realize what she was saying, didn't think that it was unethical or collusion or anything like that. Maybe she just thought she's there to have fun. And, I mean, it's a tournament of 1,000 entries, so you don't get a lot of let's go play a tournament today, honey, kind of stuff there, right? Yeah. Um so I, I got to think that she understands what she said was improper, but for whatever reason she said it. But if she didn't, um, here's the other. Th- so the thing about it is, is that yeah, they're husband and wife, but there is a strategic reason not to make that call, right? Regardless of who you're married to or if it's a buddy or anything like that, you're on the money bubble here, and a lot of players, good players, will tell you that this is where they vacuum up chips is when everybody's scared. Um, they want to go out in the money bubble, so they're folding everything, so they're raising every single hand and scooping up chips. So as soon as that money bubble bursts, then everybody um, goes back to playing normal, and it's harder to get their chips. So um, not obviously that wasn't her thought process here, doesn't sound like. Her thought process was unethical. But um, So I don't think we can immediately say just because someone is married to someone and they make what seems like a shocking decision that it's clearly because of, you know, some kind of relationship. Um, Sometimes it is strategy. Should the TDA address something like this in the sense that when there's the nuts on the river, you are penalized if you don't bet it? Is there a situation where you have nuts pre-flop and you don't bet it? No, I I think it goes back to what I just said. I mean, I don't want to be compelled to to raise here and knock out the money bubble when when I'm having – the reason my stack is so big is that I'm just picking on everybody and everybody's scared. So I don't think – you can't get into that. Nuts – the nuts thing you you can get into because at that point there's nothing left to do at that point. So if you're the last to act and you have the nuts, there's no reason for you not to raise there. I mean – I guess, and except in the sense that we're talking about here, maybe you're now you're going to knock somebody out, but and you could, I, I, I can see you making an impassioned argument for that, but that's very rare in that case. But here, there's all kinds of reasons that I might not want to call this all in, yeah. um, and some could deal with what um, our, our listener is accusing uh, these folks of, um, and others could be uh, strategies. So, um, you know, I certainly wouldn't want TDA to get involved in that. Now, what I do think is interesting that TDA does get involved in, and I, and I told the listener this as well too, is that they actually have a line in the in the rules that say a husband and wife can be separated uh, at the beginning of the tournament if they uh, end up at the same table. You know, if they everything's random, you draw, and uh, you know, Laura gets uh, table one, seat five, and I get table one, seat seven, we can ask to be split up. Right, we did that on the ship too. When husband and wife right, were always right. playing poker, we would and, say, "Hey, t- you can draw again." There's not a rule that says you have to split them up, but it certainly does specifically let TDs know that they are free to do that. Now, I've always thought that was interesting because um, uh, 
But it only speaks to that one relationship, right? Yeah. It doesn't speak to two brothers. It doesn't speak to two business partners. It doesn't speak to a dad and a daughter. It doesn't speak to anybody else. Guys that, who have pieces of each other. Exactly. Two yeah. pieces with a share of each other um, that have a, a, a another kind of relationship where they may or may not want to be at the same table with each other. So um, I'm kind of curious where that came from. Um, you're right. We do it on the ship just because I, I would say just because it's in the TDA. That's what TDA is done. But I, I'm curious to go back and find out why that came up. Um, I think in general, I get it that, you know, husbands and wives, I, going back to our, our listeners' email there, probably do have combined incomes and they, you know, they want to, they don't want to be playing against each other at the same table. And it doesn't seem like it's a big, uh, a very harmful thing to split them up and let them, you know, start there. And then eventually you, they both get to the final table. You can't put them at separate tables, right? Yeah. At that point, they had to play it out. Yeah. Um, but that it only it only addresses that one relationship is very odd to me. Yeah, I agree. Um, I, you know, and the other thing too is I, mean, I can see that they're trying to avoid fights. You know, like with the family, you know, going home and being mad at your wife because she knocked you out, or being mad at your husband because he knocked you out, or something, or your spouse, sort of. So, yeah, it, it it's interesting like that. They they should probably update that. You should probably bring that up next time you go to that thing. Yeah, but I don't know. What do you bring up at that point? Now, any two people can decide that they don't want to be at the same table? No, I know. That's what I'm saying. So you have to eliminate it. Say, hey, I'm sorry. You want to enter a tournament that your wife's in? You take the chance. It's, a, it's just no, like anything else. Yeah. You yeah. reverse it. You get rid of it is what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Wow. Um, now, he did mention, it, would your decision change if you're playing on a live stream or a featured table? Uh, would people see the fold? Well, again, if I... Whatever I'm doing, if I'm being ethical or... Uh, unethical or strategic, which I think are the two reasons to fold in this spot. Um, if I'm on a live stream where people are watching, they can see me actually do it, and I'm not stupid enough to say, hey, look what I'm folding, and here's why. Right. Like this one was. <laughs> um, I, I think you have to have a, a, an answer at the ready, because people are going to ask about it, right? Yep. And I'm fine. I'm fine. Again, if I'm in the situation and I fold there for purely strategic reasons, I am absolutely fine explaining that to folks and having people say uh, I don't believe it you know whatever I mean right. I, I can't make anybody believe that but right. um, if that's truly the reason <laughs> I did it and that would be truly the reason I would do it because I wouldn't soft play um, you know at least I'm being honest now but I, I'm not going to change my play and say oh my god no one's going to believe my why the strategy here is telling me not to do it so I guess I better just move all in and knock this person out and blow up my game I'm not going to change my play for that. I don't think I should. Okay, so then the answers are, but is it ethical? No. Uh, would you ever do it? Depends, I guess, is our answer. Well, right? is it ethical? It's not ethical to do it the way that the way she did it. explained it. Right, right. Right. Um, well, yeah, because if you're in a super satellite and, you know, if they were going to pay 50 seats and you're on the bubble, playing ace-ace could knock you out. There's no it's reason to. Story. So yeah. there's always a reason to fold ace-ace. But in this situation, it wasn't ethical. And in this situation, I would never do that. And would it change if we were playing live stream? Well, I would never do it, so I wouldn't do it. It would encourage me to do it. So, no, I would never do it, especially if something see me fold. Uh, I, would, I would fold in front of a live stream if it was a super satellite. But, again, this whole spousal thing, it's just not right. So... I I, uh, I think we handled that pretty well. Interesting. Hey, guess what? We got a brand new O'Malley's movie. Here it comes. Hello, and welcome to another O'Malley's move. 
I'm Malcolm O'Malley. This week we are seated at a $1-$2 PLO8 home game. We're one of the better players at this table and have been throwing our weight around a little bit. We bought in for $200 and sit with $325. The game is 8-handed. The blinds post, under the gun calls, MP and MP1 fold, hijack calls, and we're in the cutoff with the Ace of Spades, Ace of Hearts, King of Hearts, Nine of Spades. Pocket Aces double-suited good, one-way only hand bad. We still bump it to $10. Maybe we can weed out a few lows. Everyone folds except the under the gun, and we go to a flop with about $20 in the pot. It comes down the Ace of Clubs, Queen of Clubs, Jack of Diamonds. Good news, bad news. Why couldn't our Nine of Spades be the Ten of Spades? The under the gun is a decent player, but has a leak in his game. He definitely plays too many hands. He started the hand with 175, and he leads out for $20. So, are we up against King 10? Is a call worth it? Or is this a raising situation? What's the move? It's time for Hand of the Week. Send your hands or situations to podcast at antietmagazine.com. This comes from a good friend, Dave Beeson. And uh, he says this is a $1-$1 nine-player home game. It's a dealer's choice game where the button chooses between PLO 8, PLO, and Hold'em. And much to Chris's uh, not chagrin, this is the No Limit Hold'em. <laughs> I'm glad it's a no limit hold them. I'm PLO, I can handle, but the PLO way is just this is such a waste of a time. <laughs> all right, the table has it all, he says. Two to three uh, loose aggressive players, one to two tight aggressive players, uh, strong PLO eight players who feel they're weak with hold them, a couple calling stations, and at least one maniac. I'm in the bottom half of the PLO players, but upper half of the hold them in relative skill, but can suffer from incredible unlucky streaks. Uh, we'll find out about that, Dave. <laughs> I worked my initial $80 buy-in up to squiggly 200 and my stack is average for the table. Uh, I'm in the cutoff. We have three limpers, and I have ace of spades, ace of hearts. All right, hang on, hang on. I don't think his wife is in this hand. Hey, and, and even O'Malley, if you listen to part one, I know it's PLO8, but even O'Malley had ace, ace. What's going on here? It's a pocket rocket uh, festival here. Oh, man. Uh, okay, so... We're seeing a bunch of limpers. It's a 1-1 one, one game, I guess, right? He said 1-1. One, one. Yep. So, you know, he said the stand. Did he say anything about standard raises and stuff? No. Okay, so... Oh, I'm sorry. And the, he, he did not say yet, but um, look, his very next line is a standard raise for this table is 5 to 15. Oh, okay. Wow, that's a pretty big standard raise for 1-1. Yeah, 15 is pretty big for 1-1. One, one. Um, so I'm going to say somewhere in between six is probably what we would do if we were just open raising, you know, between five five and six. Maybe five dollars is probably enough and say in our home game or something. And there, this is a home game, so we might as well talk about home game terms here. Um, but we've got three limpers, so I would probably make it ten or twelve. Yeah, I think uh, I'm thinking in a one-two, my standard raise is ten bucks. So one-one, it's half the blind. So my standard raise would be five, which does seem kind of odd, but it's a one-one game, right? And then we got three limpers, so eight is probably the proper one, but that seems like an odd bet. So I'm probably going to make it ten and make it. Yeah, ten to twelve sounds good. Um. All right. Uh, Here says the standard raise for the table is five to fifteen dollars. I raised a ten, so we're all in agreement so far. Okay. Button folds uh, the villain small blind calls and a three limpers call. So we did not succeed in thinning the field here Jeez. pretty much. 
Uh, so five-handed with aces, boy, this is always a tough spot, right? Right. Um, he says, ugh. <laughs> All right, five people and $50 in the pot. So you have flop of eight of hearts, eight of spades, five of clubs. Uh, small blind leads out for 25 bucks. He's described as mostly a tight player, can be aggressive with good draws and nuts, and can make the occasional loose calls and draws, and it folds to us. Um, you know what? I think I'm gonna. If I'm gonna be honest here, I I might smooth call this, and and here's why. If I raise, I mean, I can get some more information out of him if I raise, and he if he comes over the top, I'm convinced he has an eight or five five. Right. But, um, I I think a smooth call. We have position. We love position. We play it for a reason. There's no reason to not just call here right now. I I, I mean, if you want to raise. Like I said, you're going to be wasting money if he shoves on you. You're going to be confirmed that you're probably B. He's not. I don't think he's doing that. I think if he had something better than, like if he had pocket nines or better, he might have re-raised your preflop. Since, but I don't know. Maybe not with nines or tens. It might not be big enough for him to do that. But if he had a hand where it wasn't an eight or it wasn't pocket fives, what hand would he be able to play back at you with that he wouldn't have re-raised you preflop with? Is what I'm thinking here. So. I don't like a re-raise right now. I want to see the turn. Um, I think I'm just going to call and see. I have position. And then if he doesn't bet the turn because he's afraid on the turn, so he might have just been betting out as some some guys do. Now, he did say he was kind of a tight player. So generally tight players don't come unhinged like that and just bet out into someone who took the lead preflop with a raise um, unless they've got something. So... I also don't think he would have it. Why would he bet into you with an eight? The only way he would do this is if he's positive that you do have a big hand and couldn't get away from it. And he's, but at the same time, you took the lead. He knows you're going to bet on that flop if you if no everyone checks to him. So it's really confusing. I'm not convinced he has an eight, but at the same time, I don't want to see this guy come over the top and all this money I've just built up my stack to goes away because some small blind had a random eight who felt like he was priced in. And had to make a call, and now I'm hoping for a two-outer. So I might just call here. It depends. If it was a tournament, I might raise. If I had tons of chips in front of me, and I just felt like I didn't believe him. But then again, if if he's got something like, you know, uh, six five, and he called a raise because he was priced in, or if he's got six six, seven seven, some under pair that's over the fives, then he, he might stick around for a min raise or something. I just right now I feel like I want to call and feel him out a little more for another street. Yeah, I'm going to say I'm really confused at what's going on right now. So we made a pretty, seemed to me, a pretty healthy raise um, preflop, although the standard raise 15, so maybe it wasn't as healthy as it could have been. Um, and he just called. Um, so it seems like it, it's a hand that has potential, but he wasn't willing to raise with it, right? Right. Um so that almost kind of eliminates like kings and queens for me, which is what I initially thought uh, he might have. Um, but there is a point where he said he's mostly a tight player, but can be aggressive with good draws uh, slash nuts and make the occasional loose calls with draws. So um, six seven is what I'm starting to think about now because now it's a straight and it's hidden. Um, 
and I could see maybe it makes that loose call, the 10 pre-flop, especially because our, our race was cut off, too. Um, but I don't... It, for a but tight player, a tight player though. So I don't yeah. understand if that's the case why he's betting out twenty five because he's got to know that we race pre flop that it's a very good chance that he's going to get raised there, and that doesn't make sense either. So I'm really confused as to what he has here. Um, it does seem maybe it's some kind of weird eight, but even an eight, there's really no danger here. I mean, you can't put us on six seven or anybody else on six seven. That's the only real draw. There's no flush draw out there. So, um, I, to be honest, I'm, I'm super confused here. So because I'm super confused, and I know this sounds bad, I think I'm going to raise. I want to find out when I, when I got here. I mean, and if he re-raises me, then it's really hard based on what I just, all the thought process I put in to put him on kings or queens or something that we have crushed. So maybe that's my key to get out. So uh, I'm probably going to raise 50 and just try to get some more information before it gets too dangerous here. So you would do a min raise? Is what you're saying? I think, yeah, I know it's kind of weak. In my process, my thought process is weak on it as well, too. I understand, but I just really don't know what we're up against here. Yeah. Um, I mean, certainly I, I could defend a call here and see what happens, but there's nothing that's going to come on the turn aside from an ace that's going to make me feel better, right? So yeah. I'm just going to, I'm just delaying. You know, I, you know, I'm slowly ripping off the bandaid rather than ripping it off. I'm just delaying, having to make a decision. So why don't I just make a decision now? And you know, maybe put him to a test, and if nothing else, maybe I spook him a little bit, and he doesn't bet the turn, and then you know maybe I can get a free card there, or I can bet. I, I, it gives me some more options on the turn. One of the things I I wonder about is, and you you like to bring this up a lot, is is trying to extract information, and I know that's obviously like the most important, you know, thing about deciding what your move is going to be next is a lot of times trying to get information from people. Um, but I just don't know if if putting more money into a pot is always the way to do that. Sometimes I think just calling the minimum amount can also extract information without. I would agree with that. Tra- you know what I mean? So I'm just, and I'm not saying that you're wrong either, because I a lot of people are probably going to flame us and say, "How you, you got aces there? You know, that's a great flop for aces. Raise them." But again, I'm only going to get re-raised or called probably by another eight there. I feel like, and if if but that's the information we're looking right, for. Right, but we're getting... I mean, I just... I wonder if I call 25, if on the turn he checks, I believe that, you know, now... Or if he bets 25 again, well, I've gotten to another street for the same price that I'm raising it to. What's the probability do you think somebody that bet 25, half the pot, on this flop, and we just call, is now going to slow down on the turn? It's possible, but I think that... I, I put that at a low percentage. Well, let's say he... I think if we call here, we are definitely facing another bet on the turn. And again, like I said, unless we have an ace, nothing's really going to change in his hand to make me feel any better about it. I understand that, but if you're making it 50, right, now you've opened up the betting and you'll never know. You'll never know what happens if this guy raises you. He could still have a random five in his hand, didn't believe you had ace king. But if you just call 25 on the turn, he might bet 25 again. He's a tight player, you know what I mean? He, he might just bet 25 again, or he might not bet at all. Right, so he bets 25 again on the turn, and then he bets 50 on the river, and now we've just put 100 bucks into this pot, well, and he but turns over an eight. For that same 25, I got to see two cards 
instead of losing and seeing no cards because he shoved on me. True. Maybe that ace does come on the turn of the river, or maybe a scarecrow, or maybe he checks, and now you realize, yeah, he was just betting out because he had a five in his hand, thought we had ace king and missed. I just feel like I'm risking more money when I don't need to yet. I just feel like more money can be. I'm just saying I don't know what this guy would do. I'm just I'm trying well, a hey, different we angle. We both on admit it. that we're we're befuddled as to what. Our yeah, I mean this guy bet into us after we took the lead, and he's a tight player. If he had an eight, why would he do that? And if he had six seven, why would he do that? You know, why would he set the pace and let us raise knowing we had a big hand? And why so he can fold? So it seems like he has some weird hand. You know. I don't know. Yeah, my, my point with mentioning that we're both uh, befuddled by this is that uh, we can make a case for either one. And until we know what he actually has, we don't know what the right decision yeah. is. I want to save money. You want to spend it. Right now. <laughs> I think. I, I'm, just, no, I'm just saying. That's really it. You want to spend for information. I want to try to save it and see if I still get information. That, that's probably a fair assessment. Yeah. So. All right. Let's see what happens. Um, all right. Our hero says, I can put the villain's range on ace-queen, ace-king, ace-jack, ace-ten, ace-eight suited, just about any pocket pair suited eight seven or eight nine six seven suited. Um, hmm. You know, a small pocket pair actually makes sense here too. Yeah, that's what I was saying. If it was something like sevens or something, then I could see okay, he's he's got a pair better than the fives, and he doesn't believe we have. But even then, if he doesn't believe we have a pair over eights, he doesn't need a pair between like sixes or sevens. He could have any random five six or something. Right. So same, it's essentially the same thing. Uh, I, I'm going to eliminate. I mean, I like a suited eight, seven, eight, nines, but again, I'm not sure why those hands bet out into us when there's real no danger on this board, right? Um, and we already discussed six, seven. I just think the way you describe this player doesn't make sense to me. Um, I'm also going to uh, not eliminate, but really question ace, queen, ace, jack, ace, ten in terms of betting out here. I yeah, mean, betting out, exactly. Not- ace here, I mean, I think the first thing you have to assume when someone raises pre-flop is at least ace-king, right? I mean, obviously they have a wide range of hands that they play, but uh, i gotta, I got to be worried about that. So I'm not at all confident if I have ace-jack, ace-ten, or even ace-queen that I have the best hand here right now. I'm not, certainly not confident enough to bet half the pot into that person. With three other players before he gets to it, remember that, too. They're, I mean, now we know those lumpers folded, but when he made that bet, he didn't know. Yeah. Uh, a couple other things too I want to say one um, yeah, you, I, I agree with you on eliminating those hands because there's no reason for any of the hands really that he listed would bet out two I don't know what gives him the idea that that's his range what, why would you put him on those hands what, what, what makes him think randomly that ace queen is a hand that would call his raise and then bet into him on a dry board so then what he's really doing is he's putting this person on a range that would have called his raise and then not believed us. So what he's essentially doing is putting us as the player in his range. So that when we play Hold'em, we play people a lot of times. It's a, And we always hear that cliche, it's a game of people, not a game of cards. So is this player, does he have it in his toolbox to play the player because if he does, then it doesn't matter what range you're putting him on. Because this is a type of player that could say, the last time our friend Dave raised pre-flop and a random board came out, uh, he didn't have anything and he just C-bet. Or, or somebody didn't believe him, bet into him, and he folded like a you know cheap tent. So I think that 
all too often, these hands of the week, when they come into us, people are always putting them on ranges of what they could have in their hands and would do this with, when actually they're forgetting that No Limit Hold'em is a game of people and how you play. So if Dave is giving off this sort of, I'm the type of player that raises pre-flop, and then when I miss the flop, I'll fold any pressure. If, if that's the range he's put Dave on, he could be betting with any two cards now, thinking that I could steal it. But to eliminate that thought process, we have other players in the hand. So he's not just doing the Dave. So now we have to eliminate those hands. Those hands don't make sense to me. Ace, queen, ace, king, ace, jack, ace, ten. Ace, eight maybe makes sense to call a raise in the blinds when you're quote that. Well, yeah. But then to bet out, why are you betting out, right? Because this well, guy took no, this. this is what I, I forgot in, in the middle of our conversation until I just reminded us of it, is that you had these other limpers still in when he made that bet. Right. So if I have an eight here... With that many people in the hand, I think it's actually a profitable play to bet your eight there because um, people are going to have to put you on the eight. Um, there might be another pair involved. Um, there's lots of reasons to believe that you're going to pick up two, at least two callers. There may be another razor uh, for people that just don't believe it. Um, and if you're wrong and they all fold, well, you're not going to get any more out of them anyhow, right? So um, I've come back now to the fact that then an eight is more likely here when before I was saying why would you bet off that eight because I was thinking it was heads up and if it's heads up it wouldn't make much sense to bet that eight but with four four people to act behind you I think it is profitable to bet an eight so um, I think an eight's very likely now okay let me ask you one let's reverse that real quick because I, I like to get into this now this is if you were Dave or, or even pocket fives because you're worried about somebody else having a pair and catching up on two cards well if you were Dave Okay, and, or if you're in Dave's position, not yes. just the fact that you have ace ace or whatever, but if you're in a hand where you raised preflop and you had three callers, and then an, an innocuous board comes and it checks to you, are you betting? Checks to me with the aces, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, so here's the deal. So if I am in position one, there's no reason for me to bet out because someone is going to bet. If someone doesn't, because even if it goes past the two limpers who called later and it gets to Dave, Dave's going to bet. Now, those two check to him and then you bet. If you have that eight and it goes bet in the middle and then Dave re-raises, now you've gotten all this extra money. Now you can come over the top again. So I really don't see betting the eight really as a profitable play. I have absolutely no idea what this person is. (laughs) That's right. So if I'm going to put this guy on a hand, I'm going to say he's got a five. Or he's got like pocket sixes and was 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 hoping to set mine okay. or like sevens. A small pair or a random five. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Interesting. All right. Uh, all right. Our hero back to his thought process. I don't see him calling pre-flop raising the small blind with anything that hits his flop other than eight eight or five five or maybe ace eight suited. I don't think quad to bet here and even the pocket fives to probably wait for the field to bet into him. So I know it's ranged down to a likely over pair ace eight possible set of fives. Uh, and narrow chance of six seven for the straight draw. So originally he said I can put the villains. You now nothing's changed since we were discussing this. He said he could put the villain on all those other hands, and then well, he's that's saying what he originally said no question marks, and then he oh, okay he oh, okay all right so yeah so now the overpair is seems less likely to me too. I mean I guess nines or tens maybe, but if yeah. he had jacks or something, you think he might re-raise you? Yeah, jacks, jacks, queens to, or kings to narrow the field. Raised yeah so. So then it's very specific. It's some sort of eight. I really don't think he's got 
five five because there's no reason. I I know you were talking about uh, that. Sounds like monsters under the bed thinking to me. If I got fives full, I'm I'm keeping as many people in as I can for at least one street. I'm not trying to scare people out. I mean, I might get him to because there's also the thinking that that Doyle Brunson always says in Super System where. He's supposed to have a good hand because he raised pre-flop. So if you make trips, you want to bet into him because he's supposed to call or re-raise you because he believes he's got a better hand than what came on that ragged flop. But I just don't know if that's the the level of this 1-1 home game with a yeah. tight player. So, okay, I'll agree with some of his assessment there at the end where it could be ace-eight, but I just don't think betting. And so I still think he might I, I might he have. the eight. So yeah. really, I, and I don't like to get this narrow, but now it's making me think it's nines or tens. It's really yeah, it could, it could be something like that. Or you're like you said, a, a weird five um, or seven. Yeah, yep, hmm. I agree. All right, our hero calls. Uh, okay. Hundred dollars in the pot. Uh, so now, now he's on Team Chris. Here. Yeah, I like the call. He's, he's voted me off the island just for one street. Uh, the turn is the Deuce of Hearts. Uh, so our board now is Eight of Hearts, Eight of Spades, Five Clubs, Deuce of Hearts. So the only thing changes is picked up a flush draw now. And our opponent bets twenty five again. Oh, see, there you go. So we just talked about this. If you made it fifty, you might have gotten forced out of seeing the next card. Now you saw the next card, so nothing's changed. Now you get to see the river for the same price if you choose to call her. The pot's pretty good. You got a decent amount of money. You got a real good hand here. You got a good showdown value here with aces. I think that I would call again and see what happens on the river. I, I, I don't see opening up the betting again. And I was, you know, I don't mind the fifty dollar amount before but i thought why not try to see what this guy does on the turn now we've gotten to see literally the turn on the river for the same price as if we raised preflop and could have gotten shut out of this hand so i like it i'm calling fair point now are you not all worried uh that jack mccall is going to put a bolt in the back of our head before the end of the game <laughs> yeah no aces and eights uh no i'm not too worried about it I mean, I'm just thinking it's the same thing. I like to go to the polls on election day just because that's what I like to do, right? Right. But I'm worried that I could die before (laughs) and I should really vote now, right? Yeah, yeah. So here, you know, hey, aces and eights, you know, I'd rather take the money in the pot now and get out of there before I get uh, dead, right? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, no, no, I, no, we're going to uh, play your way. Okay. No, because, again, <laughs> you're, yeah, I know you're joking around, but, I mean, seriously, I think that's a, a, a good play here is to call again because opening up the betting, nothing has changed, so why not just call again? Nothing has changed, really, with that deuce. I'm just going to call and hope we hit even another eight on the river because yeah, then yeah, I don't really have to guess quads or even an ace to really make us feel comfortable. You know, who knows? And if something random comes out again, he bets 25, maybe I'll make a consideration then, but... You know, it's a pretty decent pot right now for a 1-1 game. Yeah, I'm definitely going to call with you, too. Because the other thing, too, is that, you know, normally we're fearful of what might come, right? Yeah. Or we're fearful that a heart might come. Or we're fearful that a uh, 4 or 9 might come. But I think those cards actually help us now. Because if he does have, like, this ace-8 um, or some kind of 8 like that, those cards actually give us a chance to win this pot. Because uh, we're playing it as a draw, we could actually represent right. it now, right? Yeah. So I mean, I would rather now see that that river card at twenty five bucks rather than um, raise here and be wrong about that, and then as you mentioned on the previous street, um, have to fold this or have to commit with and hope for something. Because even if we, you know, I don't know where we are. Our stack was two hundred, so I guess it's possible we could accidentally get it all in here. But um, but then those cards that I just mentioned don't help us on the river if we're already all in, right? Right. So the only reason they, the only way they can help us is if we still have chips and we can, you know, put some pressure on them. So all right, I'm calling too. 
Okay. All right, Rivers says, uh, I don't see this card as changing anything. I don't like my relative strength on this board versus this range, so I just call. Yeah, I agree. I really do. I don't I don't really see any reason to open up the betting here. Nothing's changed, so why not just do the exact same thing we just did the street before and do it for a good price, so. All right, so 150 in the pot. The river is the ace of clubs, giving us aces full of eights. So our final board is eight of hearts, eight of spades, five clubs, two of hearts, ace of clubs, and a small blind bets $25 once again. Well, this is when I turn to my friend and say, look, I had pocket aces, but I got to fold to my wife. That's <laughs> right. <laughs> um, okay, so, you know, there is this sort of, hey, let's make a huge bet here and make him think we're bluffing, but I really don't, you know, representing the ace kind of thing. I just don't think that's going to work. The way he's been betting, I'm convinced now he doesn't have an eight. There's there's no reason to keep betting this small amount as a pot grows for three you know for flop turn and river right so, so see how much you can get out of him yeah and I I don't know maybe I just min bet min raise him here and then he might get cute and have fives full and then go crazy on you and then you shove so um, I think I would just min raise him you know I'd make it fifty to go yeah hmm. because a, a bigger bet you're only going to get called by quad eights or pocket fives, and then it's only so it's such a narrow range, and it's 50-50 where you're going to win or lose on those calls. You know what I mean? So unless he's convinced that you're bluffing and would call that, you know, because you're representing some A's, I just, it's a huge, I would rather get another 25 out of this guy than, than wasting that chance or getting called by quads or something. So I don't know. So I, I wouldn't mind just getting a little bit more out of this guy. Doesn't seem like he has a penchant for calling or making big amounts of money into you know putting a big amounts of money into a pot. He keeps betting yeah. twenty five. It's really hard to put him on quads here, isn't it? Yeah, I don't think he's Anything got else? quads. So really, I mean, that's the only hand that has his beat now. So, um, so I don't want him to fold. I understand that, but maybe maybe he's been betting this with like one of those hands that we dismissed, so this ace queen or something like that. Now he's got aces and eights. Jeez, betting ace queen into us. I don't know. I'm just trying to figure out. I mean, yeah, I'm still befuddled. And then betting it again, and then and it, nobody fires three times when somebody's just calling you all along with nothing. I guess what I'm saying is, I think it's worth me giving up the potential twenty five dollars I would get by min racing here to make this bet a hundred or something, and maybe sucker him in with a a good but not as good a hand as we we did that he can't fold because he just just doesn't think that. See, if he had nines or tens, the ace would scare him off. If you're making a min bet, he's thinking, I'm getting like nine to one on my money here. I have... Yo, absolutely. No, I, hey, I totally get your point of view. I guess what I'm saying is I, I think this is a chance where I'm willing to give up that 25 bucks for those kind of hands. Right. In the hopes that he has some kind of ace or something and I can get 75 more out of him. Mm. I think it's very difficult to find a hand that would call that raise that much, I think. It's a very specific hand, and it's a very specific person that would do that. I feel like a min of 25 right, but at this is point, We so don't have money. to really figure that out. I mean, we we got the second nuts, and we pretty much dismissed the nuts as being impossible, right? So we right. have the best hand here. So, I mean, yeah, we can go crazy and bet too much and not get anything out of this, but uh, there's lots of... You know, again, we got to put our our opponent on understanding all that and not making that call when people make mistakes all the time with those kind of things. I mean, it's this different story when we're raising when we don't have the best hand and it's possible that they could, you know, reshove on us or something like that. I'm not worried about that here. So, uh, like I said, I'm 
I'm willing to wager 25 to win 75 or 100 off of this guy instead for not understanding what's going on here. Okay, I'm making it 50. You're making it what? Um, let's see. So 25. Uh, I might... I'm going to go at least 75. I might go 100, though. Okay. So there was like one... 75. It's 115 pot before, so 175 yeah, in the actually, pot. I mean, so you're. Where we are, we started with 200. So we were at 190. Mm-hmm. We're down to 140 right now. Yeah. See, that's the other thing. Now, if you make it 100, that's like your whole stack is going to be like, why didn't you shove? And I don't know what. I don't know. Open this up yeah. again. But, all right. So I'm making a 50. You're making a 75. It's an unfortunate stack size to have for this. Yeah. I do think 100 is probably the right bet, but you could be right that maybe it's better just to shove. Well, I'm going to stick with 100. Right? Okay. All right. I've been known to leave Buster behind him. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Um, all right. So here it says, Now the only hand that has me beat is pocket eights. With confidence and no monsters of the bed, with 175 in the pile, I count at a $50 raise. Okay, so he puts 75 out there then is what he's saying, right? In between us, right? Yeah, okay. The villain grumbles and tables 6-6. Six, six. <laughs> oh, all right. Well, we, we that we so he didn't call then. I'm assuming he just yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, so we'll never know whether he would have called the 25 like you said. So yeah, incorrect there. But um, but even then, I don't know whether he does. You know, this is one of those things where you're right. You're looking at the the size of the pod and the 25 dollars, and all the math makes sense to make that call. But. You know, I go back to my Omaha A classes. Even when the the, the math all makes sense, I mean, what <laughs> there are times where you just know you're beat. So, yeah. and this would be a case where I, there's just no possible way in my mind if I had pocket sixes and I fired twenty five three times, and now this guy has raised me on the river that I can feel confident that my sixes are good. Yeah. So I have to fold there. Yeah. Why bet though? Why bet the yeah, I mean, really, I, I, I guess maybe it was just, I mean, yeah, really, I mean, now, I, I think he, he lost sight of what we might have, right? Because yeah. some of these hands that our hero put them on are exactly the hands that we could have had. Ace-Queen, Ace-King, Ace-Jack, any of those aces yep. are possible. Now, you know, an ace gets there. Yeah, when that ace gets there, it's like, well, hello. You know, if you're afraid of it, big pocket pair like kings or jacks or all those hands that we we put him on are the hands that are the only hands that make sense for us to have. And you know that you can see why he bet out because it was over the five, but he didn't believe you had an eight, so he thought you might have ace king, so he took a shot at it to narrow the field and see if you would just crumble. When you didn't crumble, you had to start to wonder, okay, why would he call me with cars that didn't connect there unless he's floating me, or if he has a pair, it's over. So. Okay, the next street comes a low card again. We're still above that card. So now we bet again. He's not floating us again, is he? So he calls again. So now you've got to start to say, let's put him on a hand. What's he calling with? He's not drawing. I don't think he grazed preflop with 10, you know, 6, 7 very often. But maybe he does have that. But again, when the river comes to an ace, so now you've put him on a random ace? When you, if you had a random ace the other sheet, you would have laid down the hammer on the turn. So now you're putting him on the ace on the river. It's kind of a weird way to bet those sixes. At the end, I would have just been like, you know, either I'm convinced he doesn't have it or I'm checking. Yeah. You know? And if I'm convinced he doesn't have it, why are you folding to that little bit of a raise? So it's really a weird way he played 6-6. Six, six. Um, I kind of agree the way he played it in the beginning. Well, even, even, even the beginning, I'm still confused. I mean, yeah. the only thing I can really 
used to defend him there is that um, a six is one of the cards for the straight. Yeah. You know, so he had a little extra bonus there, but he still had to get through four people with those pocket sixes, including a preflop razor. And then what happened is he he got three of them out, and then he got the preflop razor just to call, right? So had we raised there, um, I think he has to go away, right? So we got more money out of this hand by yeah, we definitely got the max out of this hand, I think. So he has to go away there, and why would he not think that that raise is possible? Um, so I no, I I don't think any of this other than maybe the uh, the ten dollar preflop. If he knew that that's a standard raise, and there was probably going to be some enough people to call to to make it worth the set mine there. Yeah. That's really the only thing I can I can defend in any way he played this. Well, Dave, uh, I think Dave did all right there. He, well, I agree with him pretty much the whole way. That was a pretty good hand. Yeah, he says the raise after flop might have scared him away, or at least would have slowed down his betting. Yep, absolutely. Uh, I may have been too passive in my play, but as with anyone who has had an affair with Ace Ace, I've seen it turn ugly one, uh, on me more than a few times. Hmm. And he asked, should I raise post flop? Then we just answered that. Yeah, we answered that. So. Yeah, he got more money this way. Now, I think going forward, I mean, that's result oriented, right? But going forward, I, I think I still would have raised there. I wouldn't want to know what's going on. But Yeah. Uh, but in this particular hand, uh, you get the most money out of them. All right. This concludes our Ace Ace show. <laughs> and I advise Scott to go on Google and look up Guy Fawkes and Anonymous. I'm Chris Casenza. <laughs> I'm Scott. Let's <laughs> see you at the table. Anti-Up is a production of antiupmagazine.com. Contact the show at podcast at antiupmagazine.com or call our hotline at 206-338-6344. If you'd like to advertise, send an email to advertising at antiupmagazine.com or call 727-331-4335. Some music used in this episode comes courtesy of the Podsafe Music Network.